Hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Holy God, we give you thanks for your word. Your word which teaches us even the simplest of things like how to speak to you. You do that because you actually want us to speak to you. You long to meet with us, your people. And I pray as we meditate on your words this morning that you would indeed meet with us by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, there's, there's nothing quite like gazing upon the eyes of a brandly, a, a newborn uh, infant. You know, they're a little slimy and gooey, but there's this uh, innocence to them that is, that is hard to describe or explain when you just look at a freshly minted child. Um, you know, it, it can be tempting to even think in that moment, I can never imagine this child doing anything to upset me, right? I, I can never imagine this child doing anything wrong. Um, you know, until they, you know, usually it's one particular word they learn first that, that makes you realize that they actually can do wrong. And it's a two-letter word. It's a word you know well. It starts with the letter N and it's no. Right? You kind of remember the first time a child says no to you, you're kind of like, wait a second, you, you said no to, to me? Because I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. You said no to me. And, uh, and I, but, but you know, the, the instinct of us to say no, to fight against the authorities in our lives, I think is at the heart of the battle uh, for our world. Uh, I think this is essentially what the serpent offered Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was a chance to say no to God and yes to yourself and whatever um, you want to do yourself. And this, I think, is the start of the battle for two kingdoms. Right? And I think all the struggles we experience in all humanity actually stem from this. Every battle over land, every war, every broken relationship, every heartache, all these flow from the war that has been raging since Genesis 3, this war in our hearts to say no to the kingdom of God and yes to the kingdom of self. I mean, you feel, I know you do, I know you feel this battle in your own souls. The temptation to live life according to your own desires, according to whatever feels right in any given moment. Listen, Jesus knows this struggle that you have with his kingdom. Uh, he knows we struggle to say yes to him and live according to his rule. Uh, you know, that we, that he knows that we love the kingdom of man sometimes more than his kingdom. And so he comes to them in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the prayer that I read, comes to us in the middle of the, the, Jesus' famous sermon on the mount that he gives to his people. This prayer comes to them in this sermon to give them a fresh vision of the kingdom. In fact, all the sermon on the mount is really a fresh vision of what it means to follow his kingdom, encouraging his people to walk according to his kingdom. It's a reframing of the law and uh, drawing his people to himself. And here in this simple teaching on prayer, I think we find the heart of the battle for us. The heart of this battle for the kingdom actually begins with prayer. 
Uh, and in this, I think, is a promise, too, that his kingdom actually is going to come on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom will win this war, and it begins with prayer. And, you know, for the, the next four weeks, we're going to be exploring this phrase, thy kingdom come on earth as it is, as, as, as it is in heaven. And we're going to ask the question, how does this actually happen? How does God's kingdom actually come on earth as it is in heaven? How is this war between kingdoms that we experience every day in our lives and in our hearts, how is that actually won? And for those of you who are visiting or for those of you who just forget our normal preaching pattern, you know, every fall we, we, we tend to be in an Old Testament book. Um, right now, we're, Genesis is our Old Testament book. Uh, and we're going to start that again in five weeks, Genesis 12. Uh, it's going to be crazy good. Uh, maybe. Uh, and then in the wintertime, you know, to spring, we're using a gospel. We just finished the gospel, Mark, so we're actually going to be in Acts this, this coming winter. And the summertime, we're in one of the other New Testament books. So we can kind of hit all the Bible throughout a given year. And right now we're going through Revelation. We just hit pause on that until next summer to be continued. Um, so that's our normal pattern. But right now we're, we're breaking um, from pattern um, to do a four-week series on the idea of God's kingdom and how it comes to earth. So why are we doing this? Well, because we're starting a three-year capital campaign to raise money to restore some of the main systems in this building, in the, the, this great building that God has gifted us with. And we believe that actually this work of, of raising funds for this building, of fixing this space in downtown Yakima, actually has a direct connection to seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. I think often when we think of God's kingdom, we, we mostly are tempted to think of just the spiritual realities of it. Uh, he's up in heaven, you know, people are singing to him, it's this magical thing, but it doesn't exist here quite yet. And so it can be easy for us to separate the spiritual and the physical. You know, the church has always had a struggle with this, a physical bad, spiritual good. Um, but I think what we'll find is that God's kingdom is actually no less physical than the world we currently live in. There is a real place, heaven, that God really dwells, that is descending to earth. Um, I think, if anything, God's, God's kingdom is actually more physical than our world. You know, C.S. Lewis, at the end of his, you know, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, spoiler alert, if you haven't read it by now, you know, you probably should read it. But at the very end, they make it to heaven. It's pretty cool. And he kind of has this, as he's describing it, he talks about how the, the greens are greener, right? The blues are bluer. Everything is actually richer. But he didn't realize it on this side. But we see everything veiled. But, but one day, all this is actually going to be more physical than we experience today in ways that we can only imagine. And so we, as we explore the idea of God's kingdom for four weeks, my prayer is that as a church, it actually helps orient us uh, at, you know, as a whole around the grand vision of Scripture to believe, to lean on the fact that the truth that God's kingdom is coming to earth. It, it will win the war in our world. And hopefully this is a thing that actually strengthens us to live our daily lives according to that great vision. So the question we're going to ask this morning is simply this. How, how does God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? I think there's, there's two aspects of this I want to focus on this morning. The first is this, that God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven through prayer. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through prayer. And secondly, that God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven through our participation. It comes through our participation. So first, God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven through prayer. You know, prayer is one of those things that 
Um, it's typically actually really hard for Christians. I talk to many people and they tell me, I don't know how to pray. They know they're supposed to. They know it's a good thing. No one argues with that typically, but we struggle with it. On the one hand, some people can think, well, if God is sovereign, if he does, if he can actually do whatever he's going to do anyway, why bother praying? Why bother asking him if he's just going to do what he's going to do anyways? On the other hand, I think people can actually overestimate um, their ability to change outcomes of every situation so much that they come to prayer with great anxiety thinking if I just got to pray right, I got to get the words right, I got to line up the incantation just so God will hear me and actually do the thing I want him to do. And if he doesn't do the thing I, he, I, I want him to do, then sometimes we blame ourselves. Maybe I didn't pray. Maybe I didn't have enough faith to, to move that. Or, or we get mad at God for not listening to us. And maybe you've felt the temptation towards those extremes and you kind of bounce between them in your own prayer life. But I want you to notice here how Jesus begins this section on prayer and the foundation of it uh, is actually his relationship with us. If you have a Bible, I'm going to hop up a couple extra verses to add some context here. In this section of verse 7 and 8, he says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. It's just kind of beautiful start. So this idea of this Gentiles that he's talking about. You know, the Gentiles' prayer is one where they actually didn't know who they were asking for prayer. And so they would actually, you know, if the Jews said Yahweh's God, they'd say, great, we'll take him, we'll take this God, we'll take this God. We'll pray to all the gods, you know, cover our basis. And then, you know, so that's kind of the empty phrases. This is babbling. They just want to try to have God hear them. And so they would just pray to all the gods because they didn't know who God was. Um, babbling. But for us, he's saying, listen, you know. God's name. I've, God has given you his name. You know him. Um, he is your father. We go to him because he is our father. And he actually already knows what you need before you ask him. Now, the, the cynic in the room, which is many of us, myself included, might say, well, if he already knows, again, why bother asking him and wasting his time with me if he already knows what I'm going to ask before I even ask him? Well, we bother because he is our father. And he is eager to have you go to him in prayer. I mean, what child doesn't want to approach an eager father? What loving father doesn't love to hear from his children, even when he knows what they're going to ask? Listen, your father in heaven is eager to answer your prayer, eager to hear your prayers. Is this how you think of God when you go to him in prayer? Do you imagine God as the eager father that's just longing to have you come to him? And we see this further developed here in these opening lines when he actually teaches us how to pray, our Father. Uh, he, he simply says, our Father. He, you don't have to know some secret language here. He doesn't come to them with over-the-top language, thou mightiest, holiest, on top, on high, God, right? He just simply comes, Father. You know, by my count, uh, Father is used 17 times as a whole with the Sermon on the Mount which probably means it's used either 16 or 18 times because I'm not very good at counting. Um, but prayer is coming to a father. Jesus is trying to draw their gaze at the, the God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of your father. It's coming to the father who loves you. This relational aspect is not lost on these people. In this time of temple worship, only certain people could go meet with God in the Holy of Holies. They experienced in a profound way the transcendent nature of God, like he was big, right? Creator of all, sustainer of all, 
big God, uh, which is true of him. But that's not the only thing that's true of God. He's also near. He's also imminent. He's close. He's near to you and he wants to speak with you. And Jesus is drawing us to see the nearness of God in prayer. You know, I think some of the things that challenges us with this kind of language is maybe you've uh, had a complicated relationship with your father growing up. Maybe you have a complicated relationship with your father now. But imagine for a second what a perfect father might look like. Sitting, waiting to hear from you. Picking you up, putting you on his lap. Well, maybe if, not if you're an adult. That'd be kind of weird, right? But, um, but joyful. Always eager to have you interrupt him. Never impatient. Not quick temper. All the three things I try to be and fail at. All the things I'm sure all the fathers in this room try to be but fail at at times. But this is who your heavenly father is and more. You can't annoy him. He already knows your needs and he longs to have you come and share them. And I think even, even this idea of him knowing your needs is actually born out of his love. Because he knows you, because he actually pays attention to you, he knows your needs. Be, be, just like a, a loving father will, will be able to anticipate, the, a loving husband will be able to anticipate the needs of his wife. So, so God, our heavenly father, anticipates our needs because he pays attention to you. He knows what you're going to ask for because he, he is a part of your life. And he longs to answer your prayer. And this is the first image we should have in prayer is that we have a father who loves us, who pays attention to us, who longs to be interrupted by the voice of his children. And then he actually teaches us like this posture of prayer, right? This, this idea that we can come to him with anything. Then he actually teaches us how to actually ask him for what we need. The rest of the prayer goes, right? We say this every Sunday. We know, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, this word hallowed, it means to be sanctified, to be holy. Um, this is a, all, these, all this language here at the beginning is all heaven on earth kind of language. Um, this is, you know, heaven is the place we talked about in our sermon on Revelation 4, but it's where God dwells, where his rule and his kingdom has no end. And that is the thing that's actually descending right now to earth. And that is what we're praying for. Uh, heaven on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And I would argue that at the heart of all prayer, every, anything you could ask of the Lord, at the heart of all of that is prayer for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, think about the things that we pray for, even in line with here. Every, every prayer for bread, for provision, right, for our daily sustenance, is a prayer for God's kingdom to come because in God's kingdom, there is no want, there is no hunger. Every prayer to stop sinning or to, or to forgive is a prayer for God's kingdom to come where there is no more sin, right? where there is no occasion for asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness because there's no sin. Every time you pray, you're ultimately praying for God's kingdom to come and rule on earth as it is in heaven. And what does this show us? Well, for one, it shows us that the help we need in our daily lives and our daily struggles and our struggle for the kingdom all comes from the hand of our Father. Right? You and I don't have the power to actually make heaven descend. This is his work. And he doesn't always answer our prayers quickly. Sometimes he actually doesn't say yes to our prayers either. But we can actually trust him even that because he is our good father. And he is bringing his kingdom to earth. And he does it first through prayer. Because the other thing that happens in prayers and prayer, we're the ones that are actually transformed. What is prayer but an act of humility? And act as if to say, God, listen, I've tried building my kingdom. I've tried providing for myself. I've tried to atone for my own sin and take care of it. And it didn't work. 
I tried to resist evil and temptation on my own strength, and I couldn't do it. So prayer is this act of giving up, of resting in him, saying, I need you, Father, to come and work and do your miracle in my life. So how might your prayer life change if you actually believe this? That, that your prayer is actually joining in the heart of God's mission on earth. That we have a Father in heaven who longs to meet with you. That we have a Father who, who wants us to ask for his kingdom to come because he longs to actually say yes to you. And you know, the thing is, as a church, we've, we've experienced this. You know, we gathered in my backyard in October in 2020 asking God to provide a place for us to meet. And God did. On a Friday late afternoon, in a miraculous way, we were able to meet at the First Baptist Church uh, downtown. He could have said no, and that would have been okay as well. But he is more committed to bringing his kingdom on earth, actually, than we are. And so we can trust him when it doesn't go the way we think it should. But he said yes to us. And we gathered to pray for this building. When we had no, uh, no sense even asking him, and yet he said yes to us here, too. And I would contend that God actually says yes to us a lot. Like, oftentimes we have this image of God in prayer that he, he just is like, no, no. I'm going to make you ask me a thousand times and then maybe a thousand times more and then maybe I'll say yes to you. I'm not going to make you raise your hand if that's what you think, but I know that that's probably how you think about prayer. That is not the image that scripture gives us. And I would actually argue that is not actually what happens in your life. God answers so many prayers that you don't even know are being prayed for right now. You don't know all the people that are praying for you in your life. You don't know all the ways that God is actively sustaining you in your life. And maybe you might think, well, man, my life is hard. Well, how much harder would your life be if no one was praying for you at all? It's a question you can't answer. But I believe that it is true because we have a father who is good, a father in heaven who longs to be with his children, who longs to answer your prayers, yes and amen. And I think he says yes far more than he says no. And I, for one, I'm glad that we were bold enough to pray and ask God for the things we asked for as a young church. Maybe we were young enough to not know what we were asking for. And I think there's something sweet in that. There's a childlike nature in that. I think there's something we need to continue in as a church because this church or any church will not survive or advance anything for God's kingdom. It might grow and might be able to do some things, but it won't actually advance God's kingdom unless we trust in him and go to him as our father regularly in prayer. This is how God's kingdom comes. As his people are transformed in prayer. Though you might ask, well, yeah, you pray for a lot of things, but other things have to happen too for prayers to actually be answered. People had to give money, people had to donate time and effort. A lot of things have to line up uh, for this to actually happen. And this is where I believe we don't just pray. We're not just called to pray and then shrug our shoulders and go uh, off on our own. But uh, an invitation to prayer, I think, is an invitation to actually participate in the work of bringing God's kingdom to bear as we live our lives in the kingdom of man. Which leads to the, the second thing I want to point out is that God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven through our participation. God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven through our participation. I think the order is really important that everything begins in prayer. But as our lives are oriented to his kingdom in prayer, it, it, it can't help but bleed out into our lives. You know, one commentator says that when we pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying that we would actually be part of that restoration, that our lives would be set on rock and not sand, which is, you know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, 
the final image that Jesus gives is the person who listens to all my words is like that one, you know, it's like building a house on the rock versus the one who doesn't uh, build it on the sand. And it's not just the one who listens to my words, but what he actually says here is the, the one who hears them and does them. Right? God's people are, are spiritual people, right? We pray, we talk to the Lord, but also we live our lives out. We are doers of the word in the real world. Like any good father, he doesn't do everything for us, right? You can't teach a child to drive a nail into a two-by-four unless you put the hammer in their hand. And our father is inviting us into his work. Prayer is the start of that work, training us in this, training us in the kingdom, and then we're sent into the world that we can bring the kingdom to bear wherever we find ourselves. It is much like the creation mandate that you find in Genesis 2, that we're sent to work and keep the kingdom, to expand it. You know, the, the, the sermon on, this, on the mount itself actually begins reminding the people who they are that they are to be salt and light. Right, saltiness is this preservative that preserves life. Light gives life warmth and vision. And as, as the people of God's kingdom, we're supposed to bear witness to it, to be a preserving light in the world, wherever we find ourselves. And as we learn to pray for the kingdom, I think we're transform, transformed by it and invited to live according to it. Right, we, we hallowed God's name. It's something we do every time we put his praise on our lips in this room. His name is hallowed. It is set apart. It is sanctified. Um, you know, the, the Gentiles didn't know the name of the Father, but you and I do. We know our Father. And we're supposed to speak to our Father by name and invite those who don't know his name to learn it. You know, as God provides you and I with our daily bread, so we are to, so we are to, to give of our daily bread to others around us. We're to be strengthened by it and give to those in need. As God forgives you and I of our sins, Right, for our debts to him, so we forgive others, which is, you know, a direct action for us because right after the, he teaches them how to pray, he says, listen, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Uh, which is to say, if, if you've actually been brought into my kingdom, you will be transformed as a human and you can't help but to forgive because I have forgiven you. It doesn't mean forgiveness is easy or simple or doesn't take time, but it means you will forgive people if you understand the debt that you have been forgiven. Kingdom people forgive as God delivers us from evil and grants us good, so we're to seek the good of our neighbor and deliver our neighbor from evil, right? The flourishing of the world, that, that the whole world would experience the shalom, the peace that comes from Christ. Kingdom prayer creates kingdom people who are in the world to bear witness of that kingdom. I think practically this looks like in your daily lives, submitting yourself to his rule. While you're in your workplace, being a salt and a light, sometimes it looks like Forgiving people who don't deserve to be forgiven. Sometimes it looks like fighting against the evil in this world. Sometimes it looks like sharing the provision of the Lord with others in need. I think this is actually ultimately what we remember every week when we gather here. Because in our day-to-day -day lives, the kingdom of this world can wear us down. The kingdom of this world can wear us thin. Our light can dim. Our saltiness grows stale. But as we gather and worship each week, it's an act of regaining saltiness, strengthening your wick that your light can shine brightly, rehearsing again the great truths of the kingdom that you are a forgiven people. You are bought by the blood of Christ. It is his blood and his work on the cross. It is his participation with the Father. Right? Jesus prays and then Garden of Gethsemane, then he actually participates with the Father in going to the Christ. It is cross. It is by his participation with the Father and work that we're brought into his, his kingdom 
that we too can participate with Christ. This prayer transforms us, and as it does, our Father invites us to help Him bring the gospel of the kingdom to the world until every corner of the earth praises His name. This is at the heart of the work of God's people. It always has been, from from Adam to to Abraham to the, the New Testament church to us. It's always begun in prayer. Remember, remembering that this all happens by God's strength and then it moves us into participation as he invites us into the work of Christ in the world. And so as we reflect on this, I want to apply this in a a practical way and explain briefly how it actually is connected directly to even what we're trying to do with the capital campaign. Um, First of all, you know, the way you apply a sermon on prayer is fairly simple. I'm sure you could all guess it. It's to pray, right? It's a simple thing. I know many struggle with prayer, but hopefully this helps us to regain this vision that prayer is actually at the heart of our mission. It isn't a, a side thing. It is, it is the thing. Um, I mean, this whole service that we do each Sunday is, is all a prayer service. And if you don't know how to start, this is why Jesus gives you the Lord's Prayer. He knows that you struggle to pray. He knows that you will struggle to pray. And so he gives you this prayer to pray. So simply pray this prayer throughout your day, throughout your life. As you learn it, dwell on each phrase. Ask God, how is he inviting you to participate in his kingdom? And then ask God to move in miraculous ways. Listen, half-hearted prayers give you half-hearted answers. They don't build your faith. And a call here is to pray pray boldly and specifically. And then you wait and you trust. You know, when we uh, gathered and prayed about this building that we are in now, it was a nutty thing to do. I was just looking up uh, some of the numbers. At that time, we weren't even a year old. We were like six months old as a church. Uh, We averaged less than 60 people on a Sunday. Giving wasn't all that great. Um, the only reason we could actually afford the rent that we had in that first Baptist building was because an outside donor gave me a big check. Also that week after we prayed, we got this big check. and was like, hey, we can afford rent. Um, it, was, it was the most audacious thing we've ever done is asked, and the Lord graciously gave. But we had the audacity to ask. I think that is one of the things the Lord is calling us to as a church, to continue to ask, to pray boldly, Pray specifically. Yes, yeah, some of the things we ask for, like I ask God to help us open a hospital sometimes. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah, listen, maybe it never will happen, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep asking. We shouldn't keep praying because as we pray, we get moved into his kingdom. We get, we get saturated with it, and then it forces us to see the world differently. So I'm asking us to continue to be a church that's not afraid to pray for things we have no business praying for. And then trust in the Lord and his answer. This is the first thing. Uh, and related to this, I want to invite you into a season of 30 days of, of prayer. Uh, the other day, someone came into my office and challenged me on the topic of prayer and saying, listen, this needs to be a, more of a priority in the church. And I'm glad he did. This is the right thing to do. And uh, if you ever come and challenge me on something, my response is going to be, yeah, what do you think we should do about it? And he actually had, a, had something to do about it. And so this is great. His idea was that we is that we have a chart that people sign up for to pray throughout the day so that every day uh, of the week for the next 30 days, uh, we have people praying for our church. And I actually have this chart here that I printed up, and I would love for you all to put your name next to a slot. Um, You can sign up for more than one time, but it's simply to say, hey, 
Uh, you can't see any of these words. I recognize this, but I'm going to pretend like you can for a second. Uh, it's a morning, afternoon, evening. There's days of the week, and you just can put your family name or your personal name down on a section just to say, hey, during the morning on every Tuesday for the next 30 days, I'm going to pray for the work of the church and her ministry. Uh, and so I'm going to set this up here, and I would encourage you after the service um, to sign up. If not, we'll send some stuff out in the weekly uh, newsletter um, letting you know about that. But I, th I think, you know, for the next 30 days, let's commit to prayer, and then we'll see, and maybe we'll do another 30 days, and then we'll do a year, and then, you know, we're always praying. So I'm going to trick you into praying for the rest of your life by tricking you into praying for 30 days. So that's the plan, just so you know, uh, off, the off the top. So please, commit yourself to prayer. Listen, it's not an easy work. It's spiritual warfare, which means there is an enemy actually actively working against you in prayer. It's going to be hard. So be ready for it, and then do it. And then if you struggle, call somebody to help them keep you accountable. Um, now, some may wonder what a sermon on prayer has to do with a capital campaign that we're starting. Uh, and you know, I, I think for a lot of us, when we think about money, raising money in the church, money doesn't seem like the spiritual things. You know, some people worry the church is just out to get my money. Um, but I would just argue that Jesus would actually disagree if you don't think your money is a spiritual thing. Jesus, more than anyone, talks to us about our money, about our resources. In fact, just after this Sermon on the Mount, um, he talks about laying our treasures up in heaven, uh, which is to say he wants us to be people who invest in his kingdom and in, in bringing heaven to earth. And uh, I think investing in this space, stewarding it well, is one of the ways that God is inviting our church to actually really participate in his kingdom, to invest in the kingdom. And, uh, you know, God's kingdom it doesn't just come in spiritual ways, but in, in physical ways. It begins in prayer, but manifests itself physically. And, you know, the Lord's prayer at the end of the day is a practical prayer. It's a prayer for the physical kingdom to come to the physical earth. And wherever the church is gathered, there's something physical that happens too. And God has graciously provided this building, right, our, our daily bread. And now we have to be good stewards of it. And this looks like a lot of things. It looks like helping the team that cleans the building. It looks like helping with maintenance. It also looks like addressing some of the serious needs of deferred maintenance that we have inherited in this building. And to address these things uh, so that the ministry of the church can continue to grow and flourish. So that we can be the salt and light to the earth. And as we do these things, I would contend that we are literally building God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As we invest in a space, as we inhabit that space, as we do heavenly things in that space, heaven is literally coming down here and spreading out into the world um, it, so that we can have another hundred years of ministry here. And listen, there's no telling how the city of Yakima might be transformed through the ministry of this church as she is successful over the next hundreds of years. It's actually fun to think about because none of us will likely be here a hundred years from now. How cool would it be if we passed on something from generation to generation that continued to flourish and, and, uh, and go out with the good news of the gospel in our city? So that is ultimately what this is about. And you know, there's um, after service, we're gonna go downstairs for potluck. And there's some packets downstairs for you to get with all the kind of details of, of what we're trying to accomplish. But the, the overview is that we're starting a three-year capital campaign to raise $500 to address some of these needs. 
And we're doing this alongside the, the school families as well. This is a, a group effort. In this, the, the physical things that we're trying to take care of in this building is to replace the HVAC. Can I get an amen for some AC? Um, amen. There we go. Uh, woo. Uh, a new roof. Um, uh, new exterior doors, redoing our, our foyer area, security upgrades uh, on our windows. We're going to finish off our courtyard, and then the downstairs bathrooms will get completely replaced. So these are the scope of the systems. Listen, at the end of this, the, the carpet in this building will still be blue, right? We're not, we're not trying to do anything crazy. We're trying to upgrade some of our core systems so our building can continue to function for the flourishing of God's kingdom. And what we're ultimately asking you to do for the next four weeks is pray and ask God how he might lead you to participate in the kingdom through this work here at St. Andrews. How God might lead you to give sacrificially above and beyond any regular giving to the church over the next three years. And at the end of this sermon series, there'll be a time for you to turn in a pledge card to say, hey, this is, the, this is what the Lord is leading us to give. And you can turn that in so we can make plans as a church. And as funds come in, we will fund uh, these projects. And uh, so, in, invite, so I invite you to spend some serious time as, as families, as individuals, to, to ask the Lord to how he might guide you. And as we enter into this campaign, I just want to be clear that, you know, whenever the church asks specifically for money for certain things, I understand this can be an uncomfortable thing for us. Uh, and typically it's one of two reasons. One, you've seen a church do this thing poorly in the past. Listen, I can't promise we're not going to do some things poorly. Um, we might. Uh, also, you might think that your money is your own and you can do whatever you please with it. I think if anything, through this time, talking about God's kingdom, talking about generosity, talking about the uncomfortable topic of money, if anything, my prayer is that we learn here at St. Andrews from the early days to, to build a culture of generosity, where we are a people who, who really understand that nothing we have, whether we have a lot or whether we have next to nothing, nothing that we have is actually our own, but it's all the Lord's. It's a gift from the Lord that we're to steward well and to share with others. Investing in the building of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I was, finally, I will say, as we enter into the season, if you have any questions, please just ask me. Um, I'd love to talk to you about this, answer any questions, concerns you may have about this. But as we enter into this season, may we be a people who are, are quick to turn to our Father in prayer, trusting in His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, and may we joyfully be a people who, who are eager to participate in that kingdom wherever he calls us to participate. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for your mercy and grace. We give you thanks for how you have forgiven us, how you have brought us into your presence, how you have taught us your name, Father. What a glorious thing it is to be able to come to you as we are, as you are, and make our requests before you. We pray that you would provide for this campaign however you would, that you would stir our hearts to be a people who are generous, who long to participate in the building of your kingdom wherever you call us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.